0: Good morning again. How are you doing? I hope good. hope well. I was at the beach this week, so if this sermon seems especially salty, that's why. It was a hard life there. It was a hard life, so glad to be back with you this morning. We're aliens and strangers in the world. So it says the New Testament in a variety of places, particularly in Hebrews, the first 12 chapters. And Then the author switches in chapter 13 to instructions for aliens and strangers in the world. This is how you live is an alien and stranger in the world. And today, towards the end of Hebrews 13, as we're nearing the end of this series, he says, pray for us. That's what we're going to talk about today. What I'm going to ask you to do, though, first, is to be in prayer for this church and for Chris and myself. Next week, we're going to have a discussion about the recent Supreme Court decision and the church. And I think it is going to be a gospel-driven, biblically faithful, gracious response. And I want you to be praying about it. Not just for Chris and myself as we're working on it, but I, but I want you to be praying for this body that we will collectively have hearts that are open to receive it. If you have friends, I hope you do, you should invite them next week. And I think that they'll see that we are a gracious church. I hope you'll invite them next week and be in prayer for that. So when somebody asks you, like I just did, to, to pray for us, and you say, sure, I'll pray for you, what happens And when that prayer leaves your lips, flutters up to the sky, what happens to it? And what happens in response? Well, in the spirit of that question, let's begin in prayer today. Holy God, we're so thankful to come before you. We're so honored to come into your throne room, and we're humbled to be on our knees before you. God, I pray that you anoint my words. That you turn these words of mine into your own, that you pour your spirit out on this place, and that through this conversation, we'll know more about what it means to approach you in prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A father, his two sons, and his daughter are running. They're running through the cobbled streets of Jerusalem, through the alleyways of that city, looking back over their shoulders in panic as Seleucid soldiers march behind them. Those soldiers are marching at the orders of King Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who has just marched into Jerusalem and on top of the altar have sacrificed, has placed a pagan altar. It's a terrible thing. The New Testament calls it the abomination of desolation, an insult to the God most high. So now this father and his three children are running, running for their lives. They slip out of the city, they head up into the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, and they find a cave, and exhausted, they collapse, and begin to shiver the night away. When the father thinks it's finally safe, he lights a fire. The light from the fire falls on the faces of those three children. Two of them, the daughter and the younger son, huddle close to their dad, but the third, the oldest boy, looks to his dad with disgust. He says, Dad, why did you run? Why didn't you fight? You're a coward. His dad shakes his head, you wouldn't understand, son. He says, no, I do understand, Dad. There's a battle out there, and you ran from it. His dad says, son, there is a battle out there, but not the one you see. There's another one entirely. Now all three kids look at him strangely, and he smiles, and he starts to tell a story. He says, you remember Daniel, don't you? You all remember Daniel. Prophet, Old Testament, friends of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys, those old saints of Israel who defiantly refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar? And if you remember them, you probably remember that. Because of that, he has them thrown into a fiery furnace, only they don't burn up. The hotter the furnace gets, the safer they are. Something about the protection of God. And so impressed with that protection is King Nebuchadnezzar that he thinks differently about Israel's God from that moment on. These are friends of Daniel's. We might call them civil disobedient friends of Daniel's. Right? They're like ancient versions of Rosa Parks who refused to give up her seat because of the color of her skin. They knew that sometimes you got to take a stand. Sometimes you got to do something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a stand. The teenage son, he butts in. Yeah, Dad, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes you got to take a stand, like, like now. The dad, the dad goes on. He says, you see, Daniel knew Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were his running buddies. And so he knew there was a time for everything, a time even for defiance. But Daniel also lived a really long time, and he lived a long time in exile, away from his home in Jerusalem. And he saw one king come and go, and not one of them had sent his people, Israel, back home. Despite the revolts, the fighting, the blatant defiance, no one sent him home. We might say the powers that be had a grip on Jerusalem like a vice. So everybody's asking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And what Daniel does rubs us all kinds of wrong. Because Daniel just prays. He just prays. It's an intense prayer. He's fasting, he's mourning, he's clothed in sackcloth and ashes. But all he's doing is praying. Praying for his people, for Israel. And for three weeks, three weeks, nothing happens. Not a thing. Nada. Persia is in charge now. Babylon, Babylon's long gone. It's Persia that's now doing the dirty work of keeping Israel away from home, and it seems that that work is going to continue unabated. Daniel, we think, get a real job. Go do something about it. And I imagine that over the next three weeks, He was thinking the same thing. You ever felt like Daniel? I felt like Daniel. A few weeks ago, I sat down for lunch with a Shelby County public defender. His job is to defend the one that nobody else wants to defend. People who are sometimes wrongly accused and incarcerated, and more often than not, people who are rightly accused and incarcerated. But he told me, I think as a Christian, Eric, I've got to believe that all people are better than the worst thing they've ever done. All people are better than the worst thing they've ever done. Are you better than the worst thing you've ever done? I hope so. But he does something about it. He defends the people that nobody else will defend. And throughout the meeting I was thinking, well, if I was a lawyer, I'd do something about that too. But I'm not. So what can I do? Maybe it's the school situation in Memphis. You know that in Memphis right now, there are high schools with an average ACT score of 28. It's brilliant. And there are high schools with an average ACT score of 14. That's a crime. Unequal education. Disproportionate poverty in their neighborhoods. Disproportionate numbers of parents out of the home, incarcerated. Schools underfunded. And you think, if I was the mayor, I'd do something about that. If I was a principal or if I was a teacher, I'd do something about that. But you're not. So what are you going to do? You know, maybe it's nothing in the news. Maybe it's just a conversation you have. A friend at work comes in with tears in their eyes and say, my brother's sick. Just went to the doctor. Doesn't look good. And you think, man, if I was a doctor, I'd do something about that. But you're not run into somebody at the grocery store they're asking for money they're in the parking lot they say I don't have money to buy milk for my toddler and you think well if I helped everybody that asked me I wouldn't have anything for myself I wish I had the kind of funds that I could just help everyone who needs help but you don't have that kind of money so so what do you do well you say well I'll pray for you but it just sounds kind of hollow like a get out of jail free card You mean, you're going to pray for them, and you will, but you know, well, that's not actually how you make a difference for somebody. How you make a difference for somebody, well, you have no idea how to do that. So you kind of just sigh. When you read Hebrews, the whole thing, 13 chapters, comes down to this. Writer's written all these words, all these instructions about living the Christian life as aliens and strangers in the world. He's poured out his soul to these folks. And then he says, most important of all, pray for us. For we're sure that we have a clear conscience. We desire to act honorably in all things. But I urge you all the more to do this, pray. So that I might be restored to you very soon. Oh, well, pray for us, you think. What's that going to do? Daniel's wondering the same. Been praying three weeks and nothing. Nothing. The teenage boy sneers. That's right, Dad. But the dad smiles. The two other children, they look at each other and they look back at their dad. He continues. He says, three weeks he prayed and nothing. But then. But then Daniel looks up, and there before him is an angel, he says. Dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist, his face like lightning, and his eyes like the flames of this fire. And now all three children are listening. Daniel trembles as the angel begins to speak. It's a roar, the text tells us. He falls to the ground, but the angel says, Do not fear, Daniel. "'For from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me twenty-one days.' So finally, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and have come to help you understand what's to happen to your people at the end of days. For there is a further vision for those days. He says, don't get confused by the word prince there. This isn't an earthly prince wrestling with an angel. This isn't a story like Jacob who wrestles an angel into submission. That was unique. This is something different. The clue there is Michael. He's called the chief of princes in this text. Elsewhere in Daniel, he's called the archangel. You've heard of Michael before. So the prince of Persia is a force, not a person, a force like Michael. A spiritual power. A, low, a god with a lowercase g. Who is intent on defending the interest of his nation, Persia. And so, this angel has no interest in letting a bunch of Jewish slaves and exiles march back home. And so, this angel who's now standing before Daniel says, I was on my way to you to deliver news of your deliverance, of the rescue of Israel, and that pesky angel of Persia got in my way. And we've been fighting for three weeks. Back and forth, the heavens shaking with violence. I thought I would make it to you, even though God sent me. But finally, finally, Michael, the archangel, came and he tagged in like a royal rumble match in the heavens, right? And here's the deal. I've got something to tell you. But afterwards, I'm going to have to go back and tag back in. And then the angel of Greece is going to come, and I'm going to have to fight him, too. So I don't have a lot of time. Listen up. But Daniel stops him and says, wait, wait, wait. But why did you come? And the angel smiles. Well, you prayed. You prayed. He says, Daniel, for from the first day, three weeks ago, that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Cave goes quiet. Dad lets those words sink in. And then he tells his son, you see, son, that's the battle I'm talking about. There are forces out there beyond your wildest imagination. Forces that are shaking the heavens even as the streets of Jerusalem run with blood and a pagan altar sits in our temple. If you want to change what's happening down here, I suggest you pray about what's happening up there. I suggest you pray. I can't tell you how important that story has been for me over the last year Uh, i was thinking about this this week and I, i really can't think of another biblical story in the last year that so dramatically shaped how i view the world how i view my life and what it is that i'm supposed to do you see the apostle paul tells us that we christians were in a battle he says he says for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he says, he says that when God sends his forces to transform the world, to transform some broken system, to transform the lives of some broken individual that you are praying for, that there are other forces that will literally rise up and stand in God's way forces like the prince, the angel of Persia, who will rise up and wrestle with the powers of God so that God's will might not be done on earth. And I reckon I kind of forgot about that. Not intentionally, I just, I just kind of stopped thinking about it like that. Have you ever read the book Screw Tape Letters? Screwtape Letters, you probably have written by C.S. Lewis. It's this imaginary correspondence between two demons, two powers, like the Prince of Persia, we might imagine. And they're trying to influence separate individuals. There's Screwtape, who's the wise and seasoned master power, master demon, and his protege, Wormwood, who's trying to influence this man to do wrong. And and Wormwood writes to him and he says, I've got a question. Should I let the guy I'm trying to influence know that I exist? Or should I stay hidden? And Screwtape writes back, and he says, My dear, my dear Wormwood, that question, at least for the present phase of our struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy, for the moment, is to conceal ourselves. I don't think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patient, the man, in the dark, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination, that'll help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence <laughs> begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he can't believe in that, well, he therefore can't believe in you. He's on something there. Some of us kind of grow out of believing in the devil, like he's a Sunday school villain, who's in puppet shows with Cool Ray, but he's, he's too silly for grown-ups, right? Or, like me, you might not go that far. You might say, it's, it's not that I disbelieve in the devil or, or forces that might work alongside him. It's just that we begin to think that the majority of problems in our lives and in the world, well, they're human problems, right? They're physical. They're material. The result of bad decisions or just bad luck, you know, Human problems, and in, in human problems, we think, well, they deserve human solutions. If a difference is going to be made, I'm going to have to make it with my own bare hands. But Israel, during the Maccabean Revolt, 160 B.C. or so, when that father tells this story to his children, they come to a really different conclusion, like this dad I told you about. You see, when they're in this unimaginably difficult time in their life, foreign king who's set up shop in the temple of the Lord, this foreign king who's killing their families, unimaginably difficult, when they're right in the middle of that, Israel remembers another time in their history that's not so different. And so the story they start to tell, even as some of them rise up in revolt, is a story about a man who does something about it that's totally different. A man who just prays. A guy who prays for others, his people, and a story about a God who responds to that prayer by waging a war in the heavens. God did what Israel could not do on a battlefield they could not affect. And like this angel tells Daniel, Israel is going to be delivered because of that battle, not this one. And God does all of this because somebody asked him to. Daniel. So I've started to think differently about prayer this last year. Maybe you should, too. I think there is a reason that right after telling us our struggle is against the powers, against the spiritual forces of evil that Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times. That's what you do. It's the same reason our writer of Hebrews ends these alien ethics by saying, please don't forget to pray for us. I urge you all the more to do this so that I might be restored to you very soon. Apparently, prayer can change things, things that matter. You see, your right to care, your right to care about injustices in our world, your right to long to make a difference for students in failing schools, for prisoners in violent prisons, for the sick, for the poor. You're right to long to make a difference, and sometimes the Bible tells us that your hands and your feet will literally be that difference. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do it for me. One day, you're going to watch the news. You're going to see 21 of your brothers, Christians, in the Middle East, beheaded. You're going to watch the news, and you're going to see a hurricane, a typhoon, an earthquake sweep through an already impoverished nation, killing thousands who were living in poverty before it even arrived. You're going to watch the news and watch as a young man marches into a church, sits through a Bible study, and then kills nine, nine of your brothers and sisters. You're going to sit next to somebody at school who you don't even know it, but they're being abused every night. And one day you'll see bruises on the wrist. A friend's going to call. They've been strung out on drugs into the night and the next morning. You're not going to know what to do. Your daughter's going to come home absolutely made a mess of her life, broken into pieces. And you're going to wonder then, what am I supposed to do? Well, you better pray. Because the God, God Most High, living God, might just be waiting on you to give him permission to let the heavens loose, to send out the troops, to rise up against the powers bearing down on the world all around us, to lock them into battle, wrestle them into submission, and enforce his will upon the world, a will which will not be satisfied until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord your prayer might make the greatest difference this world's ever seen so you better pray you better pray if you've got something in your life needs prayers i'd love to receive you this morning this church would love to wrap around you in prayer if you want to come forward i'll be down here in the front if not you can write it on the connection card that card Brecia mentioned earlier Those prayer requests on that car get prayed over every week by our leadership and by our prayer team. If you'd like us to pray for it, we'd love to pray with you. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus and exposed yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit, then today would be a good day to do it. I'd love to receive you down front. Will you stand as we sing together? Oh Lord God of Israel, there is no God alike.